Good morning. Great to see so many people here this morning. Great to see some faces I haven't seen for a while, and uh, it's a wonderful day. My favorite Sunday of the year, without a doubt. And I love Christmas, and I love Thanksgiving, but boy, I love Easter. There is nothing that's a downer about Easter, is there? It is an up Sunday because Christ rose from the dead, and I love it. I just love the anticipation of it and being here with you on Easter Sunday. And uh, thank you for praying for me, Dave. You know, I hope that the true meaning of Easter really comes through this morning as we look at our Bibles. Um, I'm not going to send you to a specific text right now because I don't have a specific text. We're going to be kind of uh, cherry-picking throughout the Scriptures this morning. But um, I want to start off with a little story that, that I experienced uh, about a week or two ago. I was in the house. I wasn't, I'm not sure what I was doing. I can't remember, but I hear a knock on the door, right? And I go to the door, and it's the guy that was working on our sprinkler system uh, so that it would work properly as we go into the, the spring and summer. And uh, he said, hey, the work's all done, and, uh, and so just don't worry about, about the sprinkler system. I said, okay, that's great, thanks. And so we, he, he, I started to shut the door, and he started to leave, and he got down off the, our front steps and then put one f- foot on the grass. And as I'm closing the door, he says, hey, 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 will you do me a favor? And I go, well, yeah, what do you want me to do? And he goes, will you say a prayer for me? And I go, yeah, I'll, I'll say a prayer for you. Can you tell me anything specific? You know what? Usually when someone asks that, they have something specific in mind. He said, he just looked at me with kind of empty eyes. He said, everything everything. He says, this world we're living in, he says, the top's coming down, the bottom is falling through, and the sides are caving in, and up is down, and down is up, and in is out, and out is in, and I don't know what to do about it, and, yet, and in my, I have five grandkids, and I want to be, spend time with my grandkids, and I don't know if I'm going to spend time with my grand. I'm thinking, wow, this guy needs to hear, <laughs> this guy needs to hear about Jesus Christ. And so, I, you know, I wasn't sure if I could get a word in edgewise, but he, he took a breath, and I said, you know, uh, I've got a hope that goes past this life, and it, it enables me to, uh, to deal with what's going on in my life right now, and no matter what happens. Well, I think he knew where I was headed because he changed the subject really, really fast, and, uh, but I said I'd pray for him, and, um, and I have. I have been praying for him. Um, you know, I was thinking about his request for prayer and his anxiety, and it made me realize that this, this guy that came to my door is, a, is the whole world in a microcosm right now. The whole world was wrapped up in what he's feeling because I think that hope is really in short supply today for so many people. Hope has just been kind of drained out of the psyche of so many people not just in our country, but throughout the world, okay? In fact, I saw a picture online. I was reading the news or looking at the news online, and it was a picture of a rally. And it looked to be people roughly between the ages of 18 and 30, 35. And one guy had a sign up, and on his sign, it said this. Uh, it said, I just took a DNA test. It turns out I'm 100% terrified about the future. Now, that's a person that's low on hope right there. Um, So whether it's caused by disease, fear of disease, or the threat of war, or a downturn in the economy, or the moral and spiritual decline in our culture, or whether it's caused by the fear of rampant inflation, or maybe it's a personal crisis or a difficulty, whatever that could be, um, it's easy to be tempted to lose hope almost without knowing it. And you can be walking around in a sense of anxiety and you don't even realize it, but you're losing hope because of circumstances that are out of your control. Now, God could change everything immediately. I'm not saying that he can't put an end to these things and and do things that uh, he could do. Um, He's done it before in the Bible, but um, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't do that, um, don't we as Christians ultimately have the, mo- the reason to be most ho- hopeful of all people on the earth. Okay? A very um, weak amen there uh, this morning. <laughs> Don't we as Christians 
ultimately have the most hopeful perspective of all people on the earth? Yes. Okay, not that much, please. <laughs> Why? Why should we as Christians have hope above everyone else in the world today, even regardless of our circumstances? And this is the reason. Because unlike the rest of the world around us, where hope is based on, like, temporary things or material things, uh, we as Christians have a supernatural, ever-present, eternal source of hope that the non-Christian doesn't have, okay? We have the ability to be filled with hope and peace in a very hopeless world because of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, okay? Simple as that. Because that's the core meaning of Christianity and of Easter, that Christ died and that he rose again bodily, physically, from death. By the way, just quickly, what is hope? Hope would be, Lee Strobel has a good definition of hope. He says, he defines hope as the sense of expectancy and optimism, and I inserted certainty there, that God wants to instill in all of us. Hope is the sense of expectancy and optimism and certainty that God wants to instill in all of us. And the resurrection of Christ is the perfect way to achieve that, that uh, definition of hope. And so the title of the message this morning on Easter Sunday 2022 is this, Resurrection Hope in a Hopeless World. If you really, really want to have hope, concentrate on the reality of the bodily, physical resurrection from the de of the death of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to kind of put it in the form of a question this morning. Why can we as Christians have resurrection hope in a hopeless world? I'm going to give you four reasons why. Four, okay? Four reasons why we as Christians could have resurrection hope in a hopeless world. Number one, Christ's bodily, physical resurrection from a real death. He didn't go into the tomb swooning from the pain of the crucifixion. If you understand the b beating he took, the flogging, and, uh, and the um, spear going into his side, and you understand all of that, and then going into, uh, and, and being crucified and going into a tomb, you would realize there was zero chance of him being alive. He died a real physical death, but he rose physically, bodily, from the grave. Okay? And the first reason why that can give us hope in a hopeless world is it's proof that he is God. The resurrection of Christ from the dead is proof that he is God. Someone said death was proof that Jesus was human. Resurrection was proof that he is God. Now, there are a number of ways in the Bible that we can make an argument for the deity of Christ. We could talk about um, um, his miracles that he performed on earth, uh, turning water into wine, feeding 5,000 people, not including women and children, with five loaves and two fish, uh, the healings that he performed. Uh, sometimes he was miles away from the healing, but he just willed it and it was done. Stopping the wind and the waves, uh, uh, power over creation. We could use that uh, uh, argument. Or his words. More, more times than I know how many it says in the New Testament, someone says, we never heard anybody talk that way before. We've never heard words like that come out of a human being's mouth. And these were coming from his friends and his enemies. We could use that, uh, that proof. Or how about the detail of his messianic prophecies in the Old Testament? We talked about this last week for uh, Palm Sunday. There are over 300 messianic prophecies of Christ coming to this earth um, in the Old Testament. And if only eight of those 300 were fulfilled, only eight of them, the odds would be of them being fulfilled were one in 10 to the 17th power. Okay, you math guys, leave me alone, okay? Last week after I said that, guys, come well, that, what that actually mean? I'm like, I don't know, I flunked math, okay? <laughs> when I went to college, some of you know, I went into the administration office and I said, what are your majors that do not require math? That's how I picked my major. It's one in one quadrillion odds that those, even eight of those 300 uh, prophecies uh, would be fulfilled. We could say, well, that proves the deity of Christ. But those pale in comparison 
to the fact that he rose from the dead bodily from the grave. Okay? Now, I was just curious, so I went online this week because I wonder how many religions there are in the world. I know there's a lot, but I guess I was surprised. Some estimate that there are about 4,200 religions in the world today. 4,200 religions. But only biblical Christianity has a founder who rose physically, bodily, from the dead. Only one, and that's biblical Christianity. He rose from the dead after three days in the tomb, and it was actually seen by many, okay, proving that he was God. Let me read to you just a few verses out of 1 Corinthians 15. Listen closely. Now, brothers, I want to... Re- this is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Now, for those of you who say, I don't know what the gospel really is. Well, here it is. For what I received, I also passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of who are still living, uh, though some have fallen asleep, they've passed away. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and then Paul says, last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born, in other words, later than the other apostles. Now, what hope can we derive from that? This is really a real thing. What hope can we derive from that? Well, the hope that we derive from that is that we are not followers of a false founder or a cult leader or a well-intentioned philosopher or a highly religious but unsaved person or a winsome politician or a brilliant educator whose bones are still in the grave. But God in the flesh, God who was raised bodily from the grave, God who was raised bodily from the grave. The book of Romans chapter 1 really makes it clear in the first four verses. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and through, who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, the resurrection of Christ is the difference maker between what you and I believe as biblically oriented Christians and all the other religions, all the other 41,999 religions. That's, That's the difference maker. Trusting in Jesus gives us Incredible daily hope. And I hope this doesn't sound arrogant. I don't mean it to be arrogant, but it sounds arrogant, okay? We're right. (laughs) And I don't say that like neener, neener, neener type of thing. I say that as thank you, God, that I'm on on the right side. I I think I say it humbly because without God planting his uh, Holy Spirit in me and regenerating me, I would be as lost as anybody else on this earth. But he saved me, and through Christ, we have the right way. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. That gives me hope every day. He's alive, not dead. Now, I'm going to freak you out a little bit more. I want to get real specific before we go on to point number two. Not only is Jesus God, but Jesus rose himself from the grave. You say, well, I never heard that one before. Well, he did. The Bible says that he did, and I always back up what I say with the Bible, okay? We don't go a la carte here. We go right to the Bible, okay? And Jesus himself, we're told in the Scriptures, that he rose himself. 
Now, I want to, if you do have a Bible, or you can look at on the screen, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is in a discussion with religious rulers, with some of the Jews. And I want you to look at chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scriptures and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus was saying, after three days in the tomb, I'm going to raise myself. I'm going to raise myself. In the spiritual realm, in the, his glorified state, he raised his physical body from the dead and joined with that himself to be the person he is now today and forevermore. In fact, that proves without a doubt that Jesus is God and that we serve the true and one and only resurrected God and nothing and no, no one else. There's an interesting verse in the Gospel of John. I don't have it on the screen, but if you want to listen to it or if you want the reference, it's John 10, 17 but uh, we don't have it up top, but it's very short. Jesus says, listen closely, I lay down my life only to take it up again. I lay down my life, the cross, only to do what? Take it up again. He's the one taking it up. Okay? Now, the Father resurrected Christ from the dead. We know that. Acts chapter 2 and verse 22 says it very clearly. I'm going to read that quickly to you, just so you know. The Father raised Jesus from the dead, too. In Acts 22, Acts 2, 22, uh, Peter says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and so signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And we'll end it there. So who rose Christ from the dead? Christ did, and so did his Father. But who else rose Christ from the dead? The Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, Romans, back, we were there just a moment ago. If you go to Romans 8 and 11, Spirit, listen to Romans 8 and 11. And the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And if, excuse me, I left that word. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who now lives in you. So what do we have here? Christ was raised from the dead. The Father rose him. Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus rose himself, and the Holy Spirit uh, rose Christ. It was a group effort. But Christ was no less involved than the Father and the Spirit in rising himself from the dead. And that proves, without a shadow of a doubt, that, that Jesus was God, because only God can raise himself. I've done, I've done a lot of funerals, a lot of memorials over 30 something years in ministry. I can't remember now, 35, 6, 7, I don't even know. But um, I've never had somebody pop out of the tomb and go, I'm not dead yet. That would really freak the... Uh, because they can't. No mortal human being can do that. But Jesus rose himself from the dead. He's God. Only God can do that. And so we have hope. We have a living Savior that him, I serve a living Savior. He's in the world today. God is Jesus. Jesus is God. And we have hope because he rose himself from the grave. Number two, a second reason the resurrection of Christ gives us hope in an increasingly hopeless world, it seems anyway, is that Christ's resurrection not only proves he's God, but it validates his atonement, his blood atonement, for our sins that, made, that Christ made for us on the cross. It validates it. It, it authenticates it. 
It finalizes it. It confirms it. Okay, and those of you that have heard me preach Easter messages before, you probably know that this is one of my favorite parts of an Easter message. I love it. Because it's, anyone can say that they can atone for the sins of other people. Anyone can say that. You know, they've got to be pretty demented to say that. They've got to have a pretty big ego, have delusions of grandeur to say that. But anybody could say that, that they can atone for the sins of mankind by dying for them, even dying on a cross. But listen closely. The only way to actually seal and validate and authenticate that claim as being true is to break sin and death's power by rising from the dead. That's the only way you can authenticate the tr that you've made a true blood atonement on the cross for the sins of mankind by rising from the dead. Let me just put it another way. Okay? The bodily resurrection of Christ validated or finalized Christ's atonement for our sins on the cross, and as a result, it frees us from the power of guilt to condemn us before God or to plague us for our past sins or present sins or future sins that have already been taken away in the eyes of God. You and I can't acquire and experience forgiveness for our sins, no matter how much blood came out of a human being on a cross. We can't depend on that alone. But when Christ rose bodily from the grave, it authenticated, it validated his sacrifice on the cross. It made it credible. That's what the resurrection did. It made it credible. You say, credible for what? Not only that he's God, but that our sins are gone. Our sins are gone in the eyes of God. I mean, talk about hope in a hopeless world. You think of how many people are carrying the past with them, right? How many of you know, and you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you know how heavy the past can be for us? It's so heavy because we've all goofed. That's a sanitized way of saying we've all sinned, okay? And we've all blown it. We've, we've said stuff we wish we wouldn't have said. We've, we've thought stuff we shouldn't have thought. We've done stuff we shouldn't have done. And sometimes the old devil can creep in and say, yeah, and you think you're holy in the eyes of God? You think you can carry that Bible into church? You think you can call yourself a Christian? Christians didn't do that. And not only the past, but he'll bring up the present. You're doing this? You're doing that? You're thinking this? And do you think a real Christian would think that kind of garbage? Or what about the future even? You know? He tempts us, we blow it. He says, oh, yeah, just like I thought. You're going to go back to God again with that one? You how much patience do you think he has? But it's not enough just to have a crucified Savior. We need a resurrected Savior. Because when he rose, he validated the absolute perfect atonement of God in human flesh for our sins, past, present, and future. Can I get a witness this morning? Huh? Man, I tell you what, if that doesn't put a lift in your loafers, I don't know what will. <laughs> you say, well, what do I have to do if I fail? Just tell them you failed. It's not rocket science. Because the atonement's already been done, right? It's already been validated by the resurrection. There's nothing left for you or me to do. You mean I don't have to crawl on broken glass? No, I have to do some spiritual calisthenics? I saw a picture of a guy whipping himself in the Philippines for Good Friday, and there's blood all over him. You ever seen those pictures of those guys? Do I have to get a whip and whip myself? No, he says that took place 2,000 years ago. All you got to do is say, I did it. If we confess our sins, 1 John tells us, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess is the word, I've said it before, homologeo in the Greek, it means to say the same thing, to agree with. God knows you did it. God already knows. I know that's hard to imagine, but God knew and, uh, and knows. What our job is to admit it. 
Just admit it, not try to bury it or repress it or work our way out of it. And we can do that with good conscience because he already validated what Christ did for us on the cross through the resurrection. That's one of the reasons why the resurrection is so important. It's so important. Not just the deity of Christ, but the fact that he rose and, 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 and validated, uh, authenticated our forgiveness 2,000 years ago. Now, that gives hope. That gives hope. Because I think there are scads of people in our world that are walking under the weight of their sin. Okay, and I've had people tell me all kinds of ways that they're going to take care of their sin. I'll wear a nicer set of clothes on Sunday morning. You know, I mean, all kinds of things. I'll do, how, can, I, can I give some money to, you know, to the church? I said, yeah, but you're still not going to take care of your sin. No, I didn't say that. Uh, <laughs> I said no, because that's not going to take care of your sin. Okay? Our hope is solid in his atonement and resurrection from the grave because it took our sin away. You know, the devil wants us to look, uh, feel like dirt. And God wants us to feel like sin has been destroyed. Okay? I'm not going to go to all the scriptures I have uh, on the screen today, but I've got to give you my, my favorite one in the whole Bible. Okay? And I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but this is my favorite, okay? It really, really is. Okay, Hebrews 10, 10 and 14. Check this out. And, and by that will, we, Christians, have been made holy. It's the past tense. Through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. When Christ rose from the dead, our sin in the eyes of God disappeared forever and ever and ever, and he exchanged it and put his righteousness inside of us. Okay, I'll get to that in a minute. But look at verse 14. Because by one sacrifice he has made... What's the next word, everybody? Oh, that's almost scary to say that, isn't it? We go, Man, I'm not perfect. I mean, I'm, I'm the opposite of perfect. No, you're perfect. You say, but I don't act perfect. We're not talking about how you act. We're talking about what happens when Christ atoned for our sins, rises from the dead. We believe in him and are baptized into his death and resurrection spiritually. And from that moment on, we are perfect in the eyes of God. That's just the way it is. That's fact. We're made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy, I think that's so funny. And not in a laugh out loud funny, but yeah, we're... We're uh, being made holy. Well, that's an understatement, isn't it? But we are. God's sanctifying us. He's making us more holy as we walk with him each day. But we're perfect. So if we trip and fall on our face, we go right back, not just to the atonement on the cross, but to the resurrection. And we claim in a, in a full heart of hope, thank you, God. Thank you that my sin is gone. Amen. Okay? And we move on. And we have to rebuke the enemy because he'll move then in on that and say, you're dirt, you look like dirt, you smell like dirt, you act like dirt. Why would God want dirt? Because he died and rose again for us. Which takes us to the third point. Okay? The third point is this. We can have hope in an increasingly hopeless world. It seems like that. Because the resurrection proves Christ's deity it validates his atonement. But thirdly, by receiving Christ as Savior and Lord, we have been given supernatural resurrection power to live by. When we were saved, as I just mentioned a few moments ago, God, listen now, don't, don't, I know you're going home to a really good dinner, okay? We are anyway. And in fact, let's just take, no, um. <laughs> but listen to this. When God, when, when we were born again, God put himself inside of us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit put himself within our spirit. Okay, here's the deal. After our salvation, God didn't leave us on our own. We're in our own strength to get through this life or deal with the power of sin or to face hopeless-looking circumstances. Again, the moment we were saved, 
we are instantly indwelt with the same power that rose Christ from the dead. I know it's just like mind-blowing, but it's true. The Bible is full of this. And I think it's one of the most unknown but most um, common truths of the Bible. And there are people that know this book backwards and forwards and have no idea that God, if they're a Christian, God's living inside of them. And that's how we live. We don't, we're not religious people, amen? We're not coming in here, you know, we we're, get out of the car, we adjust our halo, you know, and come into the church and act religious. We're not religious people. We, we're not just doing, you know, religious stuff. We're alive with God. We're alive with God. And the reason we're alive with God, not just so that we're born again, but so we have the resource to cope with sometimes looks like a very, very, very hopeless, difficult world. Now, this is just, I know I'm going to a lot of scriptures today, but I have to go to the book Ephesians, of Ephesians and read to you these few verses in the first chapter. Ephesians 1, 17 through 20. And this proves what I'm saying. I always back it up with the word of God. I keep asking, so if you don't agree with me, just argue with God. Okay, but not me. Because I'm going to take you to the same place. Acts 1.17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He's praying for them to see something, to get something, to understand something. What's he praying for? I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And here it is. Fasten your seatbelt and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. It's right there. The same power that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of you and it lives inside of me. And it's the Christian life really is learning how to draw on that. Not being religious, but how do I draw on the resurrection life of Christ in me to empower me to be a, a, a man or a woman of God? How can I rely more on God and less on me? Because the more you rely on, on God inside of you and the less on you, the more, more full of joy and excitement and uh, peace that you'll have. Okay? When the resurrection life in us is allowed to take control, Christ, we face hurts and hassles and hopelessness with overcoming power. Let me tell you a story that happened to Debbie and me a, a few years back. Um, how many people here have a timeshare? A few people. We do too, and um, my wife, who is really good with financial things, spotted, well, it was in 2008. Wasn't it not 2008? Around, well, she goes, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it was... It was a while ago, and uh, the economy was really bad, and so people were offloading these timeshares for a fraction of their price. And so um, she got online, and there was one that was just a really sweet deal because not only did you get one week a year at these beautiful places, but you got, they had this thing that you could get days in midweek, right? A day at a t like two, one, two, three days. And that was good for us because weekends are kind of taken up by us, you know? And... Uh, so she got it, and so then what they do is they take you, once they find out you get this, they say, when, the, as soon as you get to the room, the phone rings, and they say, we have a meeting where we can sell you more points, and you can do more stuff, and they, they tantalize you with these gift cards of gas, or I don't know what other stuff, Walmart or something like that, I don't, can't, well, mostly gas cards, but the other stuff. And in the beginning, we got this, we would go to these things. Oh, it was 60 minutes. It's funny how there's a different interpretation of what 60 minutes is. But, uh. <laughs> so anyway, we're after, it's after the meeting, this poor guy who's a salesman is trying to get us to buy more points, which we didn't want. We were happy. And he's, and he's, and he's trying to get, sell us more points. And man, I'm just like, Lord, get me out of here somehow because it's not going to happen. And then he says, oh, excuse me, I got a phone call. I got to take it. 
And so he goes off, and he, and he takes the phone call, and then he comes back, and he says, hey, guys, guys, just here's the card, and uh, uh, I'm going to take off. And it's almost like he was getting his desk cleaned out and ready to go. And I said, sir, I, I'm just curious. You look like you're, you're not just leaving. You're leaving. And he goes, yeah, I just got a call from my family in Oklahoma, and I inherited an oil well from my uncle. <laughs> So which would you do? <laughs> would you stay at that, that crummy little de desk like a poor schlep and try to persuade people that didn't want to buy points and scrape by not having two nickels to rub together, or would you go and get your oil well, put your feet up on your back porch and have iced tea? What would you do? Wouldn't it be stupid to say, you know, you ought to stay at this job? He said, I can get a lot more satisfaction out going to my oil well. That's what some Christians do. We're sitting there at this desk just trying to get by when we got an oil well. We've got the living nature of the risen Christ living inside of us, begging to live the Christian life in and for and through us as we exercise faith. He wants us to face the hurts and hassles and habits or feelings of hopelessness that we have with his resurrection life that lives in us. And you say, well, what happens if it leaves us? It'll never leave you, now or forever. Now, you say, what's God doing in my life? I'd like to tell you what God's doing in your life, at least what he's doing amongst other things. God is constantly bringing you and I through life circumstances to the point we are, when we're dependent on that resurrection life. And that's sometimes why things get hard, because God's saying, I want, you to, I want to teach you how to depend not on yourself, but on me and the infinite resurrected Christ that lives inside of your mortal body. Okay? So don't fight your circumstances. Don't fight them. Have faith in him and his resurrection life in you to overcome or get you through them and to satisfy you in a way that the world can't. When I think of any kind of way that the world tries to satisfy us, it doesn't even hold a candle to the resurrection life of Christ. See, I don't know about that. I, I don't, I, you know, when I have extra money to spend, it's kind of a thrill. Or when I do this or do that, it, it's kind of, you know, it kind of tickles my fancy. I really enjoy that. Well, if you've ever been filled with the resurrection life of Christ, you know that that outnumbers anything the world can offer by thousands. Some of us have had that. I've, maybe five or ten minutes or half an hour or an hour during a certain time in your life, you just had that sense of life in you that it's God and, and it's Christ. Would you trade it for anything? Man, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Okay, let's, let's go to, to our last one here. Okay, our last one. And by the way, i got to say this. I feel so sorry for you guys back there. He said, he put up 400 verses. He's using 12 of them. Okay, I'm sorry. But Galatians 2.20, you know, if Paul had a life verse, I think this would be the, the, the verse, okay? I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Amen. And this life that I live, now live, I live in the body, in the body, I live by faith. In what? The Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Faith in the indwelling Christ. That, I, if Paul had a life verse, um, that would be his. Okay, final point here. Um, why is the resurrection of Christ so hopeful? And thousands and thousands of pastors and thousands and thousands of churches all over America right now are preaching on what I'm about to share with you in about... Five minutes. <laughs> this, this could be a, a whole series of sermons, but I want to just, I had to say it. Even now, we can be hopeful in a hopeless-looking world because we can look forward, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can look forward to an eternal, supernatural future with him in heaven. Because, you see, the moment we believed, whether it was 42, 52, 62, 72, 82, 92, 2002, 2012, the moment, when, whenever we believed him, we were, and we saw, the, as Dylan said, the picture of it 
in water baptism, we were baptized into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ permanently forever. And so when we die, and the death rate is still one apiece, as I've said before, when we die, we will go into the place of heaven because Christ is in heaven. Because we're in him. We're in union with him. And we don't have to walk around in these mortal bodies anymore and with all with all their weaknesses, okay? So what will that be like? Because it's important to know, right, that when Christ died and rose, we died and rose in him the moment we were saved. In fact, we did that eternity ago. But I'm not going to get into that because it's too heavy, okay? But the resurrection of Christ really says that we can live beyond the grave. Okay, four, four or five really interesting things about that. And I apologize. This is really a sermon in itself. But um, what will that be like? You know, what will that be like? Well, first of all, it will be glorious. Colossians 3, 3 says, when he appears, we shall also appear with him in glory. You got Colossians 3, 1 through 3 up there? There we go. Can you keep going? I don't think that's all the way through. When Christ appears, then we will, well, maybe you don't have, but what it says at the end of that in verse 3, when Christ appears, then we will also appear with him in glory. Let me know when you've defined that well enough for me to understand, okay? Write it down, email it to me. It's beyond comprehension. We'll be with Christ in glory. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's so strong that it's gotten people through the worst of circumstances all through history. Think about the martyrs. How did they get through that hideous, horrible, awful treatment that millions have experienced and are experiencing right now? Because they know they have glory in heaven. Okay? Secure, waiting for them. We're told in 1 John 2, 3, 2, and 3 that we will be like Christ in his risen form. Not going to be Christ, we're not God, but we'll be like him. And think about all that he was when he appeared to the disciples in the, uh, the upper room and, and, and all that he was uh, when he uh, appeared on earth after his uh, resurrection. We'll be transformed to be like Christ. We'll have supernatural bodies. All those over 65 say, <laughs> Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 3 says, well, Our bodies will be transformed to be like Christ's supernatural body. And then we're going to live in a. Uh, and, and, and in 1 Corinthians 15, which a t pile of preachers are preaching on right now. That was a pretty good sentence, wasn't it? A pile of preachers are preaching on that right now. <laughs> That's not in my notes, okay? But they're saying, hey, guess what happens when you're in heaven? It says in 1 Corinthians 15, you'll be immortal, you'll be imperishable, you'll be supernatural, you'll be glorious. <laughs> Can't wait. Okay? Well, it's time to wrap it up. Okay? But I want to just, just to say how great it will be to be with Jesus in heaven. If you really want to know what heaven's sort of going to be like, because we don't have all of it revealed, but read the last two chapters of the book of the Revelation of John. It'll tell you what heaven's like. And there's no short of, shortage of glory there. But I want to talk to you Christians uh, here this morning first. First of all, somebody said, for us who believe, our best memories are still ahead of us. Our best memories. The person said it this, our best memories are before us. It sounded like they were past. No, our best memories aren't in the past. As Christians, our best memories are in the what? In the future. Now, it's the opposite for lost people who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But for Christians, our best memories are ahead of us. The best is yet to come for you. If you're the, isn't that a cool thought? The best is yet to come. 
Okay, this is true. This is what gives us hope. No matter what junk we have to uh, deal with in our life here. And we'll spend eternity with he in heaven with God and with our believing friends and loved ones. You know, our friends and loved ones who go ahead of us in the Lord, uh, they just won't be part of our past. They'll be part of our future. We'll know them. We'll recognize them. We'll fellowship with them. It'll be wonderful. But we have hope now before we even get there, okay? We have real hope because our sins are gone. All of them, past, present, and future. And we have Christ's resurrection life and power within us to face anything that comes our way if we exercise faith in Christ. We have, we have resurrection life for our marriages, for our parenting, for church ministries, for friends, for all of our needs, all of our difficulties. It, let's make it a lifestyle, okay? Let's make it a lifestyle depending on the resurrected life of Christ in us. Now, I want to, and that's for you believers, God bless you. But if you're not a Christian here today, and I want to close with just a little gospel presentation here. If you're not a Christian, the Bible describes you very, very clearly. It says in Ephesians 2.12 that you're separate from Christ. You're without hope. You're without God in the world. And that's a, that's a very dreary, hopeless description. P people that aren't Christians, are sep they might not know it, they're separate from Christ without hope in terms of eternal life, without God in the world. In other words, you don't have any eternal life living in you now or in the future, okay? You don't have that relationship with God in heaven. And all you have here is a temporary physical life on this earth and the destination of conscious, awful suffering completely apart from God in heaven for all of eternity. For all of eternity. Daniel chapter 12 is very, very clear about that. It says, there will be a time of distress such as not happening from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, he's talking to God, everyone whose name is found written in the book, the book of life, Revelation tells us Christians, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life, believers, but some to everlasting shame and everlasting contempt. They'll be conscious and aware of their separation from God. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You see, at the end of time, there will be only Christians and non-Christians, in spite of all the colors all of the 4,200 religions and all of the, uh, the world, the population of the world. Okay, there's only two kinds of people ultimately, believers in Christ and those separate from Christ without hope, without God in the world. Okay, now the good news, got to end on good news, right? The good news is that God specializes in new beginnings. That's what... Easter really is all about new beginnings. Regardless of our past, okay, when someone uh, prays to the one who paid for their sins on the cross and was risen again, and they, they confess their sin and believe that God died for their sin and rose bodily from the grave, they will be resurrected with all the other believers forever and ever and ever. Jesus said in that famous verse in John chapter 11, verse 25, again, one of those that, that are being preached by uh, thousands of pastors right now, and they're closing their, their uh, sermons and sending their people off. Okay, but John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says this. And I best, the book of Romans will not help me here, so I need to go to John. 11.25. It says this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the ultimate 
That's the ultimate question. Do you believe it? I want to just make that a little more detailed, and then we'll pray, and we'll go. In order for you to experience forgiveness and resurrection life now, and ultimately receive a resurrection body after this life, instead of spiritual death, you must receive Jesus Christ as your Savior for the forgiveness of your sins and, as, and receive him as the Lord of your life. When you do repent, and that means having change of mind about your sin, you're not running after sin, you're running after God. When you repent um, for your sin and you accept by faith and nothing else, just by faith, his offer of forgiveness, and you recognize that you fall short of God's perfect standard to get into heaven, his law, and that you don't deserve salvation, but you go to him humbly, he counts you as a forgiven, forever, raised to new life, blood-bought child of God, soon to be fitted with a new resurrection body, the new for the old, free by faith in Christ. And then you'll have all the hope you'll need in this world while you wait on earth for his glory. Jesus said in John 11, do you believe this? That's my ending statement to you. Do you believe this? What could be more important and more uh, necessary than to receive Christ? Think about these things as you go home today and in the quietness of your own uh, home and give your life to Jesus Christ. Now, uh, in the day, early days of the church, and really throughout all history, if it was Easter Sunday, one person would say to the other, um, he is risen. And the other person would, would just walk away. They wouldn't say a word, okay? And uh, no. The other person would say, he is risen indeed. So I'm going to do the he is risen part, and I'd like you, do, you to do the he is risen indeed. Let's stand and do that, and then just be, dismiss yourselves after we do that. Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, the fact not only did you suffer that gruesome death for us, but you broke death's power and you rose and you'll rise us up in yourself. Thank you for that amazing source of hope that we have every day. Thank you for the resurrection life that lives within us and for the future that we have that um, is, uh, is such a wonderful hope. Thank you that the best is yet to come. In your name we pray. Amen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. God bless you. Have a great rest of the day.